I'm Matt, and I'm new here. <laughs> you turn the microphone on, right? Is that what you got to do? Anyway, there was discussion about the sneaker up there, whether it was a Nike or an Adidas. I, I don't know. The jury's still out. But uh, I am Matt. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Hope Church, at least for now. Um, still. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the point is, for those of you that may be new or joining us online, I'm uh, retiring from Hope Church at the end of August. Uh, but uh, we are starting a new series, so if you're new to Hope, you're joining us online, welcome. You picked a great weekend to come because we're going to uh, talk about a really important book in uh, the, the Old Testament. Now, let's talk about, you've heard the phrase, right, the forest and the trees. And so I think it's good sometimes to, to just take a pause you know, take a time out, just kind of review, and uh, the assumption here is that not everyone's a Bible scholar teaching in a seminary, that uh, some of you are new to this, some of you don't know the Bible very well, some of you don't know where the book of Jonah is, you couldn't find it if you, if you had to, um, so the assumption is that uh, you should be able to walk in here, and uh, by the time we're done, you're going to know a lot more about the book of Jonah, but you'll know a little bit about more about the Old Testament, New Testament, and how they work together. All right. So let me just give you a quick review. The, book, the Bible is not a book. It's 66 books. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 39 in the Old Testament. There's 27 in the New Testament. Okay. And there's about a 400-year period between those two New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's very interesting. They're divided into three types of, of literature. You have the historical narrative, sometimes called the law, and then you have uh, the what we would call the wisdom literature. It's the poetry. It's like Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and uh, the Psalms was basically the the songbook of the nation of Israel. They're really songs. It was a way they praised God through their through the Psalms. Okay, and then you have the prophets. The prophets was the last section of the Old Testament. And so you had uh, two groups of prophets there. You had the major prophets and the minor prophets. Jonah is a minor prophet. So he comes towards the end of the Old Testament. All right. So a couple things that I want you to know about uh, the prophets, Jonah, and things along those lines. Um, Jesus used a phrase that's very interesting. He would say something like, all of the law and the prophets are summarized by these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the other one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And he says, all the law and the prophets. Now, what he's doing there is, what he's talking about there is, the law would be those historical books, the first part of the, the, the Old Testament. The prophets is the last part. We have a similar phrase that we use. You know what it is, right? From cover to cover. From cover to cover. So Jesus was saying, if you want to boil the law down into two commands, here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything that you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets can be summarized by these two commands. Okay, so we're going to talk about Jonah, who's in the last section. He's one of the prophets. Now, the prophets, as I said, are broken down between the major prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, those are 
usually called, uh, the minor prophets aren't minor because they're less important. It's just they're smaller, they're shorter. And there's 12 minor prophets, okay? And Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Now what, what makes, so we're getting now from away from the forest into a, a specific tree, right? So what makes Jonah significant in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible? Well, there's a number of things that make it significant. Um, it's, it's significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jonah was one of the, not all the prophets, most of the prophets spoke to the nation of Israel. There's a number of prophets, and there's, it's kind of a small number, spoke to other nations, Gentile nations. Jonah's one of those. Jonah's going to speak to the people of Ninevite or the Assyrians. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, okay? They were not friendly with Israel, or Israel wasn't friendly with them. They were enemies, okay? And so now Jonah's being told to go to your enemy, go to this nation. And so you think about a modern-day example. We're not going to name names, but you could think of nations that are not really favorable towards America. And it would be like going, God saying, go and preach and tell this nation to repent. It's like, okay, that's not really the assignment I was looking for, right? So that's one of the reasons that Jonah is an interesting book. Secondly, uh, Jonah is one of the very few um, Old Testament books that is referenced in the New Testament by Jesus, okay? Jesus makes reference to Isaiah, Dave, uh, Daniel and Zechariah and Jonah. There's only four books that Jesus makes reference to. And so it's pretty significant. So what does Jesus say about the book of Jonah? Or what does he quote from the book of Jonah? Very interesting. So turn over for a minute to page, if you're, it's uh, Matthew 12, 38. But if you don't have a Bible, we have those blue chair Bibles. You can pull one of those out. And Matthew 28, 793, page 793, but Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Look what it says. Then, then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, and notice the teachers of the law, they were teaching that, that first, that those are the books, the, the law, the Pentateuch, the first, the first five books of the, the, the historical narrative. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Some of those Pharisees, teachers of the law, said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. All right, now what's the sign of Jonah? Well, he goes on to explain that. For as Jonah was, in the, was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man, that's the name for Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So this is a reference that Jesus is making. He's saying that just as Jonah was in the heart of the great fish, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be in the heart of the earth. He'll be buried, he'll be dead, three days and three nights. So this is pretty significant, right? Um, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone uh, or something is greater than Jonah is here. All right, <laughs> let me just stop for a minute, because one of the biggest issues that, that the book of Jonah has with skeptics is <clears throat> they say that's an impossibility for a, a large fish to, to keep a man alive or a man to live in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. 
And I don't really have the answer for that other than to say this. If you can get past Genesis 1 and, Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you can get past that, if, if, if God can do that, isn't every other miracle in the Bible a chip shot? I mean, come on. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sun and the moon and the skies and the waters and the oceans and all of that. We'll see more about the ocean. He did all of that. I don't think a, you know, a fish is going to be a big deal here, right? This is not a stretch. God's not going, oh, what am I going to do? No, okay? So, yes, it's by faith. We have to trust by faith. But if God can perform those miracles, then this is a minor league miracle, right? It's not a big thing. All right. Here's the point I want you to see about the book of Jonah. And this is really the message of the book of Jonah. Remember, this is, this is a nation that are against God's people. And they're wicked. There's some bad things going on. Nations, you know, the nation of Israel are no angels either. But the point is, Assyrian, if you read through the history of the nation of Israel, Assyria was not very you know, nice to the nation of Israel. They were in captivity. You know, they, they, were, they were attacked by Assyria. Now you're being told, Jonah's being told, go to the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and tell them to repent. Now what this shows us is very important. It shows us that God has a heart for, for all people, all nations. There's not a person on this planet that's ever been born that doesn't have the mark of God. We call it the image of God. So whatever your skin color is, whatever, wherever you've been born, whatever your nationality, whatever your language you speak, it doesn't matter because God has stamped you with his image. Now, is the image marred in some people? Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is you have no right to treat anyone, anyone on this planet with disrespect because when you do that, you disrespect the image of God. We have to really take that to heart as Christians. Because I think sometimes as Christians we say, well, they're a bad person. Well, okay. God says, go to Nineveh. Okay? So, so we have to remember that, that. That God is sending his prophet to Gentiles. They're not good people. But God still cares for them. All right? So that, that, that's something. All right. Well, let's jump into Jonah. Um, if you don't have a Bible, again, we have the chair Bibles, page 7, 53, um, Jonah chapter 1. Let's read through it, and then we'll talk about it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of um, uh, Amity, go to the great city of Nineveh, again, the capital of Assyria, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. In other words, they're smelling to high heaven. <laughs> but... It's a big but. You might want to circle that in your Bible. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to be a breakup. All the sailors were afraid, each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up 
and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice uh, of us so that he, we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. The God of heaven, and this last phrase must have just decked them, who made the sea and the dry land. Oh boy. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. All right, let's just review. So Jonah is a prophet of God. This is a high calling. There weren't a lot of prophets they were called by God to be his mouthpiece, to tell people, oftentimes, most of the time, the nation of Israel to repent. They would speak to kings. They would speak to people. and they, they were, they were, It was an important office. Um, and so Jonah is a prophet. He's told to go to uh, the city of Nineveh. Instead, he heads down to, to Joppa and tries to head to Tarshish. Now, if you get on a map and you look at it later today, you realize he's trying to go in the exact opposite direction okay now have you ever tried to do that have you ever tried to run from God some of you are thinking well Matt you can't run from God he's omnipresent you throw that big theological word out because you're impressed with yourself and that just means that God is everywhere that you can't there's nowhere that you can go from his presence right so um there's a great storm, and, and it has to be a pretty significant storm, right? This is not your run-of-the-mill storm. This is pretty significant because these are seasoned sailors, and they're panicking. They're throwing their load off, trying to lighten the boat. They're doing everything they can, and um, they, they're calling out to their gods, and they're, they're, you know, whatever god they could think of, they're offering sacrifices, doing it, whatever they get, all to no avail. Uh, Jonah, interestingly enough, is asleep. Yeah, some of you are heavy sleepers, right? Um, Right? And you could sleep through anything. Yeah, that was Jonah. Jonah's like down, you know, down below deck, and he's fast asleep. The captain comes down and says, what are you doing? Don't you know we're about ready to die here? 
And uh, he says, call on your God. Get, get, do whatever you can, but you're not doing us any good falling asleep down here, right? Um, and so it comes to the point where they cast lots. Now, you say, so what is this idea of casting lots? What does that mean? You see it a few times in Scripture. And uh, sometimes they would take sheep knuckles. Now, you probably have those at home, right? The sheep knuckles. And they put a little mark on the different sides. It's dice, basically. It's, it's similar. Our, our example would be dice. So they kind of threw dice and through some process of elimination figured out that God was angry with Jonah. So then they begin to question him and they go, all right, so um, who are you? Where are you from? You know, what do you do? <laughs> and he goes, well, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God who is the one who made the heavens and the earth and the oceans. And they were just panic at that point. It's like, okay, that's a problem. And so they go, well, what do, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and Jonah says, well, throw me overboard. And you're, it'll probably, the, the sea will calm down. Now, the, notice what happens here. I think this is an interesting. These sailors are honorable people when you think about it. Because if it had been me, I wouldn't even thought twice. Okay, guy, grab his leg, you know, let's throw him over. But what do they do? They start rowing, trying to do everything they can to get to land. They're, they're trying to preserve his life. Now, think about this. and this, this is just a quick lesson. And if you're joining us online, maybe this will be your takeaway. If you're here with us, maybe this is your takeaway. The enemy will always come to you and say, your sin will never affect the people around you. It's between you and, you know, it's you. You do you, right? Your sin will never, I want to just tell you, that Jonah's sin brought the lives of these sailors in tremendous jeopardy. He even admitted it. We're in trouble. You're in trouble because of me. He thought he could run away from God and that his actions would have no repercussions to anyone around him. I just want to tell you, the enemy will come to you and say, you could go ahead and sin. It'll be private. No one will ever know. It won't hurt anybody. And I just want to tell you, when that sin is revealed, and it will be, it will come back and it will not only bite you, it will bite everyone around you that you love. So before you start playing around with disobeying God or sin, and, and you listen to the lies of the enemy, just remember, when that sin is revealed, it will come back and it will hurt the people around you. Because it, it's happening right here. Well, they finally are convinced. They pick him up, they throw him overboard, and immediately the storm is calmed. And they're just terrified by that. You know, my response would be, because I'm, you know, we're 21st century people, we'd go, their response was terror. Who controls the winds and the waves like this? They were in awe. They were amazed. They were beside themselves. And they began to make offerings to the Lord. So, a number of years ago, I had been reading through some works from Tim Keller, which were really helpful in kind of seeing Jesus in a new light in the Old Testament. And one of the ways was he pointed, 
to this story, this next story that we want to look at. Um, I want you to put, keep your finger in Jonah, okay? Now, if, 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 if you've never done this before, this will send chills down your spine. And it'll show you that the Bible, though it's 66 books, is one story. So put your finger there and turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It's on page 815 of your chair Bible if you uh, are using that. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Now remember the story that we just went through in Jonah, okay? Now listen to this one. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This sounds familiar. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Do you remember in Genesis 1, where it says, In the beginning was, or in Genesis 1, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Right? It's like, so, so we see that same power here, don't we? Don't we? So he says to the storm, quiet, be still. And the wind, wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were, what does it say there? Terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, did Jesus know about Jonah? Well, of course he did. We made the reference earlier, right, where Jesus says, uh, as Jonah was in the, the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be. He's well aware of the story of, of Jonah. He's acting out the story of Jonah right before our eyes here. Look at the parallels there. They're amazing. Uh, two boats set out to sail, right? The waters are calm, seasoned sailors. All of a sudden, they run into a storm that is life-threatening, both of them. There's a passenger. Where is he? He's asleep during the storm. Someone comes down, a captain, Peter. They come down to wake him up and say, you, you need to wake up. You need to do something. Don't you care? And then all of a sudden, Jonah's thrown overboard. The storm is calm. Jesus speaks. The storm is calm. And then at the calm of the storm, the sailors are terrified. The disciples are terrified. <laughs> Do you see the parallels? So what are the lessons that we could take from these, these two stories, but specifically from the storm, the, the life of the, the story of Jonah? First one is this, God is always with us. God is always with us. Now, there's two implications of that phrase, God is always with us. The first one is that you can run, but you can't hide from God, right? Remember we talked about that. We said, uh, well, 
Jonah tried to run from God. He tried to go in the exact opposite direction. And, and we kind of were a little bit judgy about that. We kind of had this attitude of, come on, Jonah. <laughs> I know you can't run from God. Uh, in fact, I know a passage from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. You say, Jonah, how could you think that you could run from God when his presence is everywhere? And let me ask you a couple questions. How do you behave when you're not in this room on Sunday, on Monday? How do you behave during the week when you're not gathered together? Are you the same person? Does God see you then? You're on your best behavior right now. Or, you know, you're on a business trip in a city. No one knows you there. No one will ever know what you do, where you go, what you partake in, what you get involved in. No one will ever know. I mean, and you, 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 you're, you're on your own. In a foreign city, God, God sees you there, doesn't he? Or... You can't sleep at night, you look at the computer, you get involved in sites you shouldn't be on, you're looking at things you shouldn't be seeing, you're, you're, you're getting involved in things you shouldn't be getting involved in online. Does God see? Is he sitting right there with you? Is he standing behind you while you're involved in all of that? When no one knows, does God I think as I read the scripture, God knows not only everything that you do and everything that you think, but he's always with you. Let me ask you this question. If, if we could replay the last two weeks, key moments in the last two weeks of your life that weren't so good because your behavior, your speech, what you said, what you did, what you wrote, what you looked at was inappropriate or wrong, would you be embarrassed if we were to play it in front of everyone right now? Would you be embarrassed to know that God was right there with you while you did that? See, see, we could get really judgy of Jonah and say, Jonah, you can't run from the presence of God. Ha, ha, ha. And yet we do the same thing. We leave this place. And we go out. And we act as if no one is watching. No one is there. It's a problem, isn't it? So the presence of God for some should make you squirm right now. You shouldn't feel very comfortable. But I want to flip the coin for a minute. Because some of you are here and you're struggling. This hasn't been a good week. It hasn't been a good month. You're in a bad place, maybe in your health, maybe in a relationship. You're struggling right now. You feel all alone. You feel like God has abandoned you. And the psalmist says to you, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And God wants you to know that, yes, you can never flee his presence, but you will, he will always be with you. He will always, even in the darkest valley, even the biggest problem, whatever's going on in your life, everywhere, through everything, in every situation, God is there. He hasn't abandoned you. He's always with us everywhere, through everything, all the time, no matter what. You are never alone. And, and the psalmist says, when you go through the valley, don't just assume that you've been abandoned by God. He's in there in the darkness with you, and he's got a rod and a staff to comfort you. No, you're never alone. The presence of God has incredibly important implications to the follower of Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to say, and this is really from Tim Keller. Jesus is better Jonah. He's the ultimate. He's the final Jonah. Jonah was sent to warn a, a sinful nation to repent of their sin. Jesus was sent not to warn us of our sin, but to save us from our sin. Right? Jonah was cast into the storm to save the sailors, Jesus was nailed to the cross to save sinners from their sin. Jonah was saved by God through the great fish, but Jesus was abandoned in the midst of the storm. And as he hung on the cross, I remember the words that the, the gospel writer recorded. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? In the dark valley, Jesus was alone for you and for me. He went through that for you and for me. Jonah risked his life for the sailors. Jesus gave his life for sinners like you and me. Jonah descended into darkness and was cast out of the great fish to dry land three days later. Jesus descended in the depths of sin and death and rose on the third day in victory. There's incredible continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's one story and there's one thread and it's Jesus Christ. There's a, uh, there's a section in the gospel where Jesus is walking with some of his disciples. This is after he had rose from the grave. And they didn't recognize him for one reason or another. And this happened a number of times. And uh, he's, he basically starts a dialogue with these disciples. He says, well, what's going on? And they go, well, where have you been? They start recounting all that happened to Jesus. And, he's, and he, basically he began to share with them from the Old Testament Every passage that spoke about him, I guess he would have talked about Jonah. I think he would have made reference to the book of Jonah. I wish I could have been there for that. But here's, here's the takeaway for you today. First, Jesus entered the storm so that you could be forgiven so that you could be saved. He gave his life so that you could live. He took your sins so that you could be forgiven. 
Whatever storm you have in your life, Jesus can calm it. In fact, I would go as far to say as the reason you have a storm is because you're trying to manage it, and it's unmanageable. It's beyond your control. And sometimes you have to say, I'm in the midst of a storm that I can't control, but I trust you with it, and you release it. But the greatest storm that everyone in this room has and everyone joining us online has is this. It's not your health. It's not a relationship. It's not financial. Those are important. Those are significant. But the, the most important storm that everyone is facing is that one day we will stand before a holy God. And, and Jonah was sent to the nation of Israel. They were called to repent which just means to turn from their sins and turn to God. And I just want to say to you, has there ever been a moment and a day in your life, a time in your life where you've repented, where you've turned away from your sin and you turned to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you've done what the Bible says, I've called on the name of the Lord. Has there ever been a moment where you've done that? Because the greatest problem you have right now is not those other ones. Those are, those are important. Those are significant. The greatest problem is, do you have peace with God? Jesus came so that you could have peace with God, and he did that by dealing with sin and death forever. Jesus is a better Jonah. He didn't just come to warn us. He came to save us. And the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved today? Has he saved you from your sin? If you haven't ever called on the Lord, why not today? Why not right now? Would you stand with me and let me pray with you? Our Father, we thank you for Jonah, the example of Jonah, but we thank you more for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus came and gave his life so that we could live. And he took our sins so that we, be, we could be forgiven. And Father, if there's anyone in, a, in this room or joining us online who's never called upon the Lord, maybe they want to just offer a prayer or something like this. Dear Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm lost and I'm, I'm, I'm in the storm where I'm not at peace with you. And I realize that you were sent as a rescue party uh, of one for me, a sinner, that Jesus came and lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. He took my place so that I could live. He took my sins so that I could be forgiven. And now, right now, as he gave his life to me, I give my life to him. And I ask him to come into my life to save me. Thank you, Father, that your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray somebody prayed that prayer today in this room or online joining us. And I thank you, Father, that no matter what the storms are that we face today, tomorrow, this week, that in the midst of those storms, you are there. For that, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. We give you praise and honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.